Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Eric. And today we're reading Short and Deep, The Lottery by Shirley Jackson. This is first published in The New Yorker on June 26, 1948. And uh, since I am without sin, I shall cast the first stone at it. Um, This is, I think, maybe the most famous short story among high school children. Uh, maybe first year university, second year university, if in some situations. But um, I've I've been reading through the uh, the not the scholarly stuff because there's a lot of that, and in fact it's actually hard to find scholarly stuff. But I've been reading through the YouTube comments on audiobook narrations of it that are found there, and it's like looking at a class full of kids um, all reacting to the most famous story they've you know come across and some of them have read it many times and some of them have haven't and some of them love it despite the homework and some of them don't get it and other ones need to explain it and uh, I think what's interesting beyond you know the actual story is why the story is so so well known it's not like shirley jackson is the most famous short story writer or novelist or anything like that but this story struck a chord with me when i read it um kind of a dark chord i guess um and i obviously it struck a chord with some sort of teachers out there as well but i i wonder what it means that it is maybe the most most talked about at least in north america especially especially the united states why it is so popular for a a, a reading assignment you got any ideas i can think of a of a number uh some of them having to do with uh the writerly skill behind the story Mm -hmm. some of them having to do with the education system it's a story that is acknowledged to be very, very well written, whatever that may mean. And mm-hmm. I'm sure we'll, we'll begin talking about that. Uh, the main plot device is easy to understand. In a, some sort of agrarian village of about 300 people, uh, everyone gathers for a, uh, a ritual which is the name of the story, the lottery, they seem to be going through this as if it's just the kind of thing they do. Uh, We don't know how often, but I have internal reasons, internal to the story reasons to think it happens annually. Mm -hmm. Um, They're going through some kind of activity. They're all greeting each other in a kindly way. Um, The lots are drawn, and uh, then they proceed to stone the loser to death. Uh, it's an easy story to tell. If you've never encountered it before and never heard of it, it is shocking, which is a good way to get the attention of anybody and particularly students who may feel if they have the attitude toward homework that you were mimicking uh, that, well, if it's homework, it can't be interesting. And this is interesting. Mm. Um, also, there's nothing dirty in it, by which I mean what a 
a seventh grade English teacher would call dirty. There's no sex involved. There's no cursing involved. There's no gore involved. In fact, um, at the end, it's just that one sentence telling us that it's, you know, the woman's going to get stoned um, or is st- they're starting to stone her. And that's the end of the story. So it's it's not the kind of story that uh, gets parents aroused. Um, oh, let's ban this because uh, uh, it's anti this or pro that or the kids can't handle it. I think actually it's a story that in one reading is deeply critical of religion. Mm. And if the parents really understood the story in that way, they very well might want it banned mm-hmm. if they have a mind, if a mind to ban things. Um, however, uh, I think that being a story um, that that gets through all the gates, you still have to ask, well, why would it get assigned so much? And I think one of the reasons it gets assigned so much is that at a very deep level, it's about the role of the individual in his or her family and the role of the individual and the family in the larger society. Mm. Um, we, we begin right away with the young boys going around gathering up their stones for an event that we still don't understand. It begins with kids and, and then we see the girls standing off to one side and sort of gossiping and talking among themselves. It's looks like a high school dance, you know, where the boys and the girls are on separate sides of the gymnasium until they get up the courage to, to get together. Well, actually, that's an image of a high school dance from when I was a kid. These days, the kids don't need <laughs> to find courage to get together. Um, and, and so it really feels like a story that engages questions that, in fact, high school kids or junior high school kids could could really want to pursue. Uh, what, what does it mean when we find out that a mother is going to be stoned, that her kids are relieved? I mean, th- there are deeply, deeply emotional issues involved in this story, and they all, in fact, are the kinds of issues one could expect an adolescent, especially the younger adolescents, uh, to respond to. So it could lead to a really good class discussion. Mm. And that's what English teachers want. Mm. That's my that's my suggestion. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right there. I, I was thinking of the other stories that are like this. And um, I guess there, there is, there's another one that's in the running. Um, and uh, I know it just based on talking to people who are older than me and having heard them say that this was something that was popular to talk about in English classes when they were young. Um, there's a story called the lady and the, the lady or the tiger, which is about, you know, has this ambiguous ending and, uh, it leads to a great class discussion. I, I don't think that that one's quite as well written. I've read it. Um, but it has been a while since I read it. Um, this one is incredibly crafted, um, and it's in the version we're reading it out of. It came out of a horror collection. It's been reprinted many times. Um, it is a horror story, to to my view as well. Um, lady and the Tiger, the the lady or the tiger is something else. It's a, some sort of fantasy, right? and I guess this is a fantasy too, 
in a certain sense. Um, it doesn't seem like an American town, exactly, considering that, that other neighboring towns do this ritual or have done it in the past, because it doesn't, it's not completely recognizable in that sense, but everything else is, is very recognizable. It seems to be set in the in 1948 or thereabouts you know there's a bank there's there's uh, uh there's all the normal things you would expect i think there's a hardware store and all that stuff um and there's one other story that's i i know is assigned a lot um based on just downloads um and that's a story called the most dangerous game and it it also has uh it, it seems to be assigned I'm assuming it's assigned at the beginning of the year and the end of the year, um, where teachers want—I don't know—I introduce kids to a great story or let them out with a great story to sort of begin and end the school year with a great story, and that's a story of adventure. Uh, and that—I mean, the other two are subversive in a certain sense, but this one is, this one. What I, I think is so great about it is that everybody seems to have. An opinion as to what it means, but I think what's so interesting is that the story itself doesn't literally say, and it does give all the hints that everybody's pointing to. Um, it, it, one of the one of the things that's a bit unusual is that if you look at it really closely, you notice that the way the lottery works is that first it's the head of every household that does the the it's, it's it's like three steps the the first of every household with a name right gets uh has to draw a a lot then every family within that household draws a name now in this particular case in this summer this year um that family doesn't have any other male householders with it with that name in this village and so they skip that step but then once the family has been chosen, they do the whole thing again, and they draw lots from what's left. And and that's slightly different than just choosing everyone in the whole town. And I, I don't see a lot of people talking about that aspect, so I, I think that might be fruitful to look at. But before we do that, I want to tell you something really interesting. I don't think I told you this before, and I think it's super mysterious and super interesting. Um we actually have something like this in my family, um, and it's been a tradition since before I was born. And obviously, we don't stone anybody to death, but there, a lot of the aspects of it are very interesting. I don't know if it goes to 1948 or not, but it certainly has been going a long time. And that's um, and I know other families do this too, although I don't think it's that common. On Christmas Eve, the sort of titular head of the family um, or whoever is taking that role when the titular head of the family is deceased or not available will get a deck of cards and give distribute them amongst all the people at the Christmas Eve party and then um, over the course of months preceding Christmas Eve people have gathered up presents and wrapped them and put them in a center of the room like stones <laughs> in a certain sense and 
Then another deck of cards is shuffled, and the head of the household will, or the head of the family, I guess, will call out the cards as he reads them. Now, generally what happens is each person has multiple cards, and each of these cards means you go to the center and draw, a, not a stone, but a present. And at, at the end, when all the presents are gone, there are still cards in people's hands. And what's encouraged and required by the game, not the lottery, but it's called the game, doesn't really have any other name, is for you to steal presents from other people who've, who've taken them. And stealing is not only encouraged, it's enjoyed and savored. And taking a, a present away from a child is the most delightful thing you can do. <laughs> it is? It, it's so strange. And the thing is, is, of course, the kids grow to love it. But the gifts are garbage, essentially. They're the worst gifts, <laughs> like a can of beans. You know, what, what does a kid need with a can of beans, right? Or, you know, a, a, a waffle ball with no uh, waffle ball sticks or whatever. You know, like, they're just silly presents that make no sense. And it's a, del it's, it's a delight. Everyone looks forward to it. And yet, when you're having your gift being taken away from you, you sort of perform this, no, no, don't take it away from me, like Tessie does in this story. And I think it's so interesting because it, it is, it's it's like an inver inverted version of this story in a certain sense. We've got, uh, you know, and it works the same way. Little children are shown what to do. In in this story, Dave, who's the youngest of, of the family that's uh, a, a little Davy the youngest of the family that is chosen Hutchinson, Hutchinson. right yeah it's, it's not a random name right right so he, his mom gets stoned at the end but he is delighted to participate in this and it, in that way i see it as kind of like yeah an indictment of religion you know you indoctrinate children into this this activity and when people who haven't experienced the game before come you know somebody is visiting for christmas eve they're they participate and they don't know how it works and or what it's about and it just sort of develops but they don't seem to hate it either <laughs> i don't know if that's because it's the mob mentality but what's so interesting to me is that it, it's all completely unanalyzed in my family like nobody tries to figure it out in the same way that nobody in this this in the story of the lottery says you know what the purpose is exactly there are hints right uh, um if you have the well the oldest man in the in the community uh, i must say the fact that he's 77 uh disturbs me <laughs> um tells us that there used to be a saying that uh what was it lottery in june corn be heavy soon that's right so there was a kind of uh, agrarian um, ritual blessing of the fields with the blood of uh, one of the, the people. So mm -hmm. this is this so clearly mimics human sacrifice for for uh, to a harvest god uh, that 
it, it, it takes no effort whatsoever to suggest that uh, this is uh, tied to all sorts of mythic structures that human beings have followed for a long, long time. And, and, and that, that is the explanation. Right? But, you know, most of these rituals, we don't give explanations when we go through them. That's right. Um, you know, so... Jesus died for your sins. Well, okay. Um, so now everything is better. Yay, Easter. Um, the the Pharaoh's firstborn and all the other firstborns of Egypt were killed. Um, yay, uh, Yahweh. Um, so let's, you know, mimic the sacrifice by um, having unleavened bread and dipping the egg of fertility symbol in the salt water, the salt of our tears. Um, you tell the story at Passover. Um, you, you know something of the story and Easter. But most of these things, um, when they arise, are so embedded in our culture that we just make reference to them. We don't even need to sell, say the story. And sometimes we don't even know the story. I mean, loads and loads of people um, wish someone luck and say, knock wood. Um not recognizing that that goes all the way back to the idea of touching the cross. Mm. Um, you know, you're asking for God's help when you say knock wood. Uh, you know, so what I'm saying in a sense, Jesse, is I see what you mean about the about it being worth noticing that there is not much of an explicit uh, explanation for how this arose and how the traditions have been allowed to modify. But the fact is, um, lottery in June, corn heavy soon. Um, that's sort of, God, we've, we've got it everywhere in, in Western culture. From what I know of it, we've got it in other cultures too. Mm -hmm. I, I, I want to point out that this, the same guy who administers the uh, Mr. Summers, which is a great name. Uh, when, Mr. Summers is, you know, preparing, you know, the box that holds mm -hmm. all the um, the slips of paper. It used to be chips of wood. Um, mm -hmm. I believe, uh, you know, if you went to ancient Greece, their version would be uh, stones, right? <laughs> something like that. Little white pebbles or black pebbles, um, something yep. like that. Uh, he also, uh, he's he's also um, he draws. I I I wanted to make sure that he did and rereading it because i couldn't remember because if he was exempt then it would be more like a priesthood right and that this is a way of accruing power and and as in my family the person who's doing it right now is one of my uncles every every christmas eve and he also draws um these the cards and it's it's interesting that he it's not him you know, sort of controlling. In fact, w one of the things that said about him is in the in the story is that he is pitied because he doesn't have any children, and yet he also has other responsibilities besides drawing uh, and controlling the uh, the lottery, which is um, he administers the square dances, he runs the teenage club, and I think this one's the most notable. He also runs Halloween. And Halloween is, is a, again, this mysterious ritual, especially bringing in children. And adults have participated in it, too, or participate in it, too. 
Um, and it has these magic words that people don't even know what they mean, right? Trick or treat. Kids are taught to say it. They teach their kids to say it. And we almost completely do it unthinkingly. And we might have little explanations that we tell each other. And uh, as I spend a lot of time thinking and researching and listening to uh, shows about Halloween, I, I know that there's inc incredible numbers of sort of misinformation and just sort of basic lies that people spread about it, not knowing, you know, where its origins are and how it is a very old and very strange phenomenon that sort of continues. And I, I think that that's the power of this story is that it it says, well, wait a second, no, we don't have this. This is our regular normal village society, it seems like. And yet, we don't have this. What, how, what does this mean? And, you know, if you look at the, re the Wikipedia entry for this story, um, they talk a lot about the response um, that readers had, you know, canceling subscriptions, sending hate mail, and that stuff to uh, Shirley Jackson. I do note that um, uh, it also that's interesting that South Africa banned the story. And I think that that might be an indication of you know you know like you said there's no sex the violence is off screen um there's no nudity so what are they banning exactly they're kind of banning the thought right because it's not really about anything going on in south africa exactly but when you look at this twisted mirror and you say well, well, that's not us then you sort of come away saying yes but it's so masterfully done it is it's saying something what is it saying and that makes you question something else maybe and that's its power i think it makes us question many things and it is powerful uh, i can see why some people would be upset english teachers of course want you to get provoked into discussion it begins with i think uh, a paragraph that is extraordinarily uh, well done and better done on rereading. Um, I will remind you uh, that uh, this came out in the June 26th issue of The New Yorker. Um, it begins, the morning of June 27th was clear and sunny. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <All right>? So <laughs> this is what's just over your horizon, you, you New Yorker readers. With the fresh warmth of a full summer day, the flowers were blooming profusely and the grass was richly green. The people of the village began to gather in the square between the post office and the bank around 10 o'clock. Uh, it's square. There's post office on one side, bank on the other. 10 is a nice even number. Uh, there's everything here that's just so square. It's a grand old name. You know, I'm thinking of Yankee Doodle. Mm -hmm. The... Um, George M. Cohan, in some towns, there were so many people that the lottery took two days and had to be started on June 26th, like New York. But in this village, there were only about 300 people. The whole lottery took less than two hours. So it could begin at 10 o'clock in the morning and still be through in time to allow the villagers to get home for noon dinner. Hmm. Now, on rereading, we understand that what this means is the thing that's important is for them to eat. The word dinner 
is used the way it's used in an agrarian society. In, in urban society, at least in the United States, people talk about breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Mm-hmm. But traditionally, the word dinner means the main meal of the day. And in, an, in a, a factory, an industrialized city, that would tend to be the meal you have after you eat. Right. But in an agrarian society, the main meal of the day is eaten during the heat of the day, since that's the hardest time to work anyway. So in an agrarian society, it would be breakfast, dinner and supper. Mm -hmm. These people want to go home for a noon dinner at the height of time. What they're doing, these farmers, they're they're allowing themselves to eat by doing what is necessary to have a good harvest. And then how do you do that? You, you do it by killing an animal, right? They have turned their fellow villager into an animal. Well, you know, as you know, Jesse, I'm a vegetarian. I don't go out and kill animals mm-hmm. to eat, mm-hmm. but most people do kill animals to eat or they allow other people to kill animals for them to eat, at least in North America, that's the case. Mm-hmm. And in fact, Christ dies for our sins. Jesus is the end of a line of sacrifices meant to give more power to the people. It begins with with Abel uh, killing a lamb, you know, and the burning of his flesh uh, went up, and Abel found uh, uh, was. Found how, how does the line go that uh, Abel was uh, pleasing to God's sight? I'm paraphrasing it badly. Um, what we have here is um, a real question. I mean, you could say, well, is it okay for farmers to kill animals? Um, is it okay for farmers to kill other people? If you needed to kill somebody in order for all of society to proceed, would that be okay? Would it have to be done by somebody in your own family? Now, the person who gets killed ultimately is Tess, sometimes called Tessie, Hutchinson. In America, Anne Hutchinson mm-hmm. was the first really important female religious leader. And she had her own interpretation of the Bible, which was so um, anathema to the Puritans around her that she was driven out of society and had to find a new place to live back in the colonial era. The test that I think is here is Tess of the D'Urbervilles, mm. who tries to to claim a connection to some higher authority and from the outset is doomed to be executed. So here we have Tess, Hutch, Tess Hutchinson, who in fact is going to be driven out of her family and her village and in fact killed in the process. Let he who is without sin among you cast the first stone. Everybody here Mm -hmm. casts stones. And the first one to throw it is Mr. Adams, Mm -hmm. who is also, of course, the first one to be called as they go through the the picking of the lots. Right. There is somebody here, uh, the the woman who is presumably the friend of Tess Hutchinson, the one who chats with her as the uh, village is assembling, is Mrs. Delacroix. Um, interesting. Her name is spelled de la croix, which means of the cross. Mm-hmm. 
But we're told here explicitly, I don't know why we need this, right? Bobby and Harry Jones and Dickie Delacroix, the villagers pronounce this name Delacroix, C-R-O-Y instead of C-R-O-I-X, eventually made a great pile of stones in one corner of the square and guarded it against the raids of the other boys. Why Delacroix? Because there's another French word, croix, is cross. Mm -hmm. But croix, which would lead to croix, is to believe. So what we have here is, among other things, many, many references to the King James Bible, to to Judeo-Christian sacrifice, and to a kind of blind belief that since it was done, it needs to continue being done. And an old curmudgeonly guy whose name is Warner, which means guardian, is trying to get them to keep to the old traditions. Mm Uh, but they don't want to. Uh, they need to change a little bit. The guy who runs it all is Summers. He owns a coal coal mine. Um, I, I'm not Christian, but it does seem to me that I've read often that if you're bad on Christmas, instead of getting your gifts stolen from you by somebody in Jesse's family, what you find in your stocking is a lump of coal. And this guy, Summers, runs this in the summer. That time of year thou mayst in me behold when yellow leaves or none or few do hang upon those boughs which shake against the cold, bare ruined choirs where late the sweet bird sang. That's how Shakespeare's sonnet 73 begins. Summers is the summer, as well as that being his name. It's the summer of life, right? This is the heat of the moment that's going to lead toward the fall And in the case of an agrarian society, presumably a good harvest. But the cost of this harvest is to constantly question the significance of the individual in the family and the family in the village. And the the questioning has nothing to do with the reality of actually growing food. It has to do with getting together to follow the rituals that we believe make the food happen. It's about what human beings are like and how different their responsibilities might be if they're alone or if they're part of the group. And when Tess says, it isn't fair, it isn't fair, it isn't. Mm -hmm. But it's what human beings do. And I think most human beings would rather not admit it. Yes, which is a good reason to ban the story. Yes, I I, I can't get over the. Uh, I mean, I, I guess that's the whole point. Is is it such a good build up that when when you see it coming, you say no, no, it's not going to go there, and it does, and it it's brutal, it's ru- ruthless. Listen to this. Mrs. Dunbar had small stones in both her hands, and she said, gasping for breath, "I can't run at all. You'll have to go ahead, and I'll catch up with you." This is because everybody's gathering together to do the stoning. The children had stones already, and some gave, someone gave little Davy Hutchinson a few pebbles. So he's not going to kill his mom with those pebbles, but he's going to throw them. And he's going to become part of the group by doing it. Yep. Tessie Hutchinson was at the center of a cleared space by now, and she held her hands out. Out desperately as the villagers moved in on her. It isn't fair, she said. A stone hit her on the side of the head. She was late. She was late for this event. 
And I didn't think much of it, you know, as you're reading it the first time, you know, just, but it's, it's almost like, you know, I, I, I considered, is it possible that they're just driving her out of town rather than actually stoning her to death? Because, you know, scapegoat, that's traditionally how it's done, right? You don't, you, you load up the burdens of society onto one thing and they say, this is how we solve our problem now and the, the catharsis of of driving that all the sin out of the out of the town but that may be that may be but i think that in a literal sense um i, it's, so. I mean it is yeah. I, I think she gets it i think she's and, dead, you know if yes. you look they were if you look at those her. last two sentences yeah look look you right look at look at the words all the names old man Warner was saying, right? The, 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 the guardian, the one who keeps the traditions he was saying, so she says, it isn't fair. A stone hit her in the side of the head, just as you read Jesse. Then old man Warner was saying, come on, come on, everyone. Okay. Tradition tells us to go on. Steve Adams was in the front of the crowd of villagers, right? It starts with Adam and Mrs. Graves beside him. Mm-hmm. Because that's where it always ends. It isn't fair. It isn't right. Mrs. Hutchinson screamed. And then, as you just read, Jesse, and then they were upon her. But that's human beings from cradle to grave, as long as we stay mindlessly within our traditions. Yeah. And yet that's why there's always more to say. Yes, (laughs) you got it. And remember. You can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for Reading Short and Deep.